Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the Women in Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Brunel and I'm the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc. And I'm your host for today's show. Today, I am so excited to have with us Jessica Ginsberg of LFM Capital. They're a private equity investment group focused on niche manufacturing and industrial service businesses. Jessica is a director at LFM Capital and responsible for their business development activities. She brings to the fund over 11 years of private equity, banking, and investment management experience, having served in a variety of roles that include business development, transaction diligence, credit analysis, and investor communications. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So this is going to be interesting. I was just mentioning to Faith before we were all on the line that most of my interviews, I'm interviewing an owner of a manufacturing company, one company. Your firm owns several manufacturing companies, so we're going to have a lot to talk about today. But first, I would like you, if you don't mind, to introduce LFM to our listeners. LFM is a private equity firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. We were founded in late 2014 by engineers and former operators who are really passionate about U.S. manufacturing and believe that you know, small manufacturing companies really provide the foundation and infrastructure for our country's critical supply chains. And so we're really trying to support and accelerate growth in those businesses. We raised our first fund in 2014. That was $110 million uh, with the goal of investing into companies with revenue of uh, around 10 to 100 million and EBITDA of 3 million or more. And then we raised our second fund, which was 185 million in the fourth quarter of 2018, really with that same goal in mind. As you mentioned, we've invested in 10 platform companies which all serve very different end markets, but have the common theme of manufacturing. Wonderful. You and I have talked before about the fact that in many founder-led manufacturing companies, private equity could almost be a curse word. (laughs) So I would love for you to speak into a little bit how your firm is different Clearly, you've already said something that is unique. We deal with private equities all over the country. Not many of them were founded by engineers. Most, probably 99% of what I've dealt with has been people coming out of the banking community. So just from the start, coming from an engineering background, I'm sure that your firm is looked at differently, but I also want you to speak to how you might be different in how you invest, how you operate. We are very different. I think, you know, you really hit the nail on the head with the engineering and operations experience that is on our team. Most private equity firms are started, founded, and operated by finance guys who know a whole lot about spreadsheets, but not so much about 
what really happens on the shop floor. So we really pride ourselves on that experience. And we think that that firsthand experience comes across loud and clear when we meet with management teams. So as we're walking, you know, facility floors, it's very obvious that we've been here, we've worn those shoes, we've done ERP system implementations, we've done lean implementations, et cetera, et cetera. So that makes us really different. Secondly, I would say we are highly flexible. A lot of firms have a recipe. They come in, they buy a business, and they apply the same five things to every company. We fundamentally don't think that works. Every business is different. Every business has different things that make it tick. We like to get involved and figure out what those different levers are and which ones should we pull and how hard. We are also really flexible in regards to management. So a lot of private equity firms hate hearing that the owner of a business, the founder who's been at the helm, wants to sell and go to the beach, retire. It's scary because transition is scary and it creates a risk. We are really open to that situation because number one, we have operating experience and we've sort of been there and seen how these transitions can work. And number two, we have really tremendous operating networks and the types of talent that we can attract to these companies is exciting to us. We think that's a pretty big difference. Pointing out the obvious, we're in Nashville. We're not in New York City. We're not in Chicago. We're not people in suits looking to make money based on financial engineering. We're down to earth. We're rational. We're reasonable people who, as I said, in many cases have been in the same shoes as these business owners and operators that we're talking to every single day. We're really looking for opportunities where we can bring more to the table than just capital. We're looking for chances to take companies to the next level based on what we know, who we know, and where we've been. Yeah, it's funny. We, I was just talking this morning to my head of business development, and we were chit-chatting about the fact that on the approach to retirement, many manufacturers, oftentimes there's opportunity for them to take a new large account. People approach them because they have such a good reputation. They've been in the business so long, but perhaps this taking on this new client might involve investment in new equipment or growth of staff or expansion of facility that at their age and on the approach to retirement, they don't necessarily want to do. So I think one thing that firms like yours bring to the table is the desire to invest to get to the next level. These are things that you'd have no problem navigating, right? That's exactly right. Manufacturing transcends the shop floor. It's everything that happens around the business, whether it is the distribution network, whether it is sales and marketing, whether it is the capital that needs to be invested, business development. And so we really work to build each element of the strategy. So when we look at our businesses, we look to what should the strategy be? What should we focus on? Should we develop new systems like ERP systems? Should we invest in CapEx? Should we pursue an add-on acquisition strategy? These are all areas where we have a lot of experience and we can bring that into our portfolio companies. And I bet it's different every time. It is different every single time. That's exactly right. Largely because every company culture is different. And I think a lot of private equity firms will come in and try to slap their culture on top of whatever business they're acquiring. But 
we believe really firmly that culture matters and legacy matters. And so just because the founder of a business is stepping away, their name is is probably still on the door. And just because they aren't running the day-to-day, they're still seeing the people in their town at the grocery store or at church or whatever it is. And we don't want to come in and change that. We really want to build that and grow on it. Sure. Yeah. Most founder-led organizations, the legacy issue, the issue that they are going to see the families of the employees in their local communities is a huge concern and issue. So they usually really care about the who of the sale, the continuity of the company and future opportunity for the staff. We're talking about the perception of private equity. And you touched on a little bit saying that your firm doesn't necessarily do it the same way every time. Does that also apply to the amount of time you hold an acquisition? Yes, it absolutely does. So I think typical private equity is probably a three to five year hold period. And I would say we view ourselves as a little bit longer than that. Probably, and we're a newer firm, so we haven't seen this play out, but I would say five to seven years is going to be more typical for LFM. Because we are active, we are involved, we are really trying to take these businesses to the next level and amplify where they've been. And that just takes time. You know, you can't come in and make broad swooping change in a year. You really have to do it slowly, intentionally. And to your point, it's all about the people and it's all about relationships. And those relationships take time. We really look for teams we can partner with for transparency and honesty. And we want the teams we partner with to trust us as much as we need to trust them. And that just takes time. And we really get that. Yeah, it sure does. And again, I think that's one of the biggest concerns for lower middle market manufacturers in dealing with private equity. It's nice to hear and understand, and I hope our audience is hearing, that not all private equities are created equal. They approach things very differently, especially those that come from an engineering manufacturing background. So that's great. Let's talk a little bit, Jessica, if you don't mind, about when your firm goes in to look at a company as a possible acquisition. Let's talk a little bit about the quality that you like to see in those companies. Sure. So we recognize that, you know, we are playing in the lower middle market and the sophistication level from a systems perspective of these businesses is going to vary tremendously. And we really view that as part of our job. We want to be able to see several years of historical financials, but it doesn't need to be in an audited package with a bow wrapped around it. We've worked with raw tax returns, for example, to kind of get where we need For us, it's more about accessibility to the information than how it's presented. So if a business owner said, yeah, I don't know that I could find three years of financials, that would be troubling. I think we'll want to understand things like customer concentration and end market concentration. And again, it's more about the accessibility to the information than how it's presented. From a systems perspective, 
no, we feel like it's something that we can really bring to the table. I mentioned ERP systems. It's an area that we would view to have significant expertise in. And it's, it's an area where if we see a business that doesn't have an ERP system, we can figure that out and navigate that together. So I think what we're really looking for, again, it's a lot of the softer side. It's people we can trust and it's a management team that's honest. We want to know what your goals are. We want to know, does the owner want to retire in, in a year or two? That's okay. Just let us know so that we can plan accordingly. Often business owners will, you know, look, this is the first and only time they will sell their business. And that's hard to navigate in itself. But sometimes I think telling the story you think a buyer wants to hear versus just being honest is really key. In the remaining time that we have, I would love for you to dive in, share with us some of the portfolio companies owned by LFM, what they do, give us a little bit of flavor of the holdings. And specifically, if your firm is looking for add-ons to any of these, perhaps you could speak into that. I can run through the businesses we own. Our first investment was in a company called Eckhart. Eckhart manufactures assembly line tools and integrates those tools into full industrial assembly lines, often using automation and controls. So they're heavily involved in robotics and you know, automated guided vehicles and things that are really exciting sort of at the forefront of Industry 4.0. Vectech is the second deal we did in 2016. They make highly engineered clamps that go inside of CNC machines. So they make the tools that hold metal while it's being machined. Heartland Steel makes material handling equipment like racks and mezzanines and platforms and also safety equipment. So they serve primarily warehouses and, and distribution facilities. The next two businesses we own are both in the specialty vehicle space. Pratt makes specialized industrial trailers and Medics makes ambulances. We get asked all the time being in Nashville if we do healthcare investing and we always point to Medics. If you're manufacturing a healthcare related product, we'll dig in. FECON makes forestry and vegetation management equipment. So the types of pieces of equipment you would use to clear brush to build a new road, for example. ShopSaver manufactures routers and plasma tables that are used for cutting steel, wood, or plastic. So the type of a machine you would use to create the cabinets in your kitchen. J&E Precision is the precision component manufacturer that, that serves aerospace and defense, primarily on the defense side. And then most recently, PSI Control Solutions, which we acquired in January of this year, makes control panels and emergency power products. You know, common theme, obviously, around manufacturing, but also very niche, highly engineered products. And I would say of those where we're most focused from an add-on perspective would be J&E Precision in aerospace and defense, ShopSaber, which is our cutting table manufacturer, and then FECON, forestry and vegetation management equipment. And I would say we're really opportunistic and like to see add-ons across the board, but those are the three we're most focused on. And then the final thing I would add is that, you know, all but two of those companies are in our first fund, 
which means we're still really early in fund two and we're looking for new platform companies as well as add-ons and looking to be opportunistic even in this market we're in today. I'm just sitting here listening to you and I'm realizing the different sectors that you're in. I'm going to tell you that to our manufacturing listening audience on the WAM podcast, your firm just earned a whole new level of respect. (laughs) There's a huge variety here. When you talk about the companies that are seeking add-ons, are there any geographic restrictions? We are really open geographically, I would say, in the U.S. and Canada. Geographic proximity is always a very nice to have, but not a need to have. So if you told me that there was a forestry equipment manufacturer right down the road from FECON in Cincinnati, I would get really excited. But if you told me that there was a potentially great fit in Dallas, Texas, that would be great too. I think we are always trying to see the bigger strategic picture and uncover new opportunities. And and geography is often a big part of that. Clearly, there's a difference when you're looking for a new platform company. There's one criteria, but there's a different set of criteria when you're looking for an add-on to an already existing platform. Tell us about that a little bit. Sure. So I would say the primary difference is size. For a platform investment, we are looking for a business with 3 million or more in EBITDA. Really because we're looking for some scale, we're looking for a platform that we can then build around, whether it's organic or through acquisition. On the add-on side, we're really looking for strategic value. So we look at businesses with a million or less of EBITDA in some cases, if they bring strategic value. Maybe it's a new product that we can bring into our distribution network, or maybe it's a geography. Maybe our business is really Midwest centric, but there's an opportunity on the West coast that's very small, but can add a lot of value. So really it's that size barrier that we break when we're looking at add-ons versus platforms. You have a huge variety of holdings right now, all kinds of different sectors of manufacturing. When you're saying, okay, we're ready for our next platform, is it strictly EBITDA driven or do you go out hunting for something in a particular sector? And how do you determine that if you do? Sure. Great question. So we have remained really end market agnostic, but really focused on manufacturing. A lot of firms are generalists, so they will do anything, services, manufacturing, distribution, restaurants, you know, you name it. We feel like by honing in on manufacturing, we can really hone in on what we are good at. And our expertise really lies in the process of manufacturing versus, you know, what's coming out at the end of the line. So if there are raw materials and a process and a finished goods, we are excited. Now, clearly there are end markets that we know better than others. FECON is a great example of that because a couple of our partners were longtime Caterpillar executives. And so there's a lot of end market overlap and a lot of expertise there versus an end market that, you know, we're learning about from scratch. That's really what would depend there. 
You talk about some of what your firm can bring to the table with regard to adding an ERP system or doing certain things to facilitate growth. So looking at your current holdings, can you give us some indication, maybe one or two examples of here's where the firm was when we bought it. And here's what we did to facilitate growth. And here was the net result. Eckhart is a great example of that. And since we've owned it the longest, it is our holding with the most examples of that. Eckhart was a business that was owned by two partners that were both nearing retirement age and ready to transition out. We, through our diligence period, identified a new leader who was from our operating backgrounds who joined the business when we closed. He helped to really focus on culture, elevating employees that had been with the business for a long time, and also hiring from outside to really create a world-class management team. Eckhart, when we acquired it, was really a tool manufacturer. They made tools that went on assembly lines, and they primarily served the automotive end market. They're based in Michigan, and that's where most of their customers are. So when we acquired Eckhart, we had two primary goals. One, we wanted to diversify outside of auto and and specifically away from one very large customer. And two, we really wanted to become more of a systems integrator than just a tool manufacturer. And so what we did was, number one, build out a business development team to really go out and find non-auto and markets that we could pursue and markets like agriculture, food, healthcare, appliance manufacturing, really a whole broad gamut of industrial manufacturing businesses that might have some similar characteristics to auto, but are making very different products that cycle very differently from auto. And then on the other side of that, sort of adding to the skill set of the business, we pursued an add-on acquisition strategy. So we actually acquired six businesses that have been integrated into Eckhart to really give them a full suite of solutions so that not only can they make a tool, but they can integrate it into an assembly line. So it's pretty exciting. It's been just an awesome growth story and transition to kind of watch from the sidelines here in Nashville. But you know, we have gone from having one very large auto customer to that customer not being the number one customer and to auto not being the number one end market over the last year or so for the first time. We've also grown from one site to, I believe, five today. It's just been an incredibly rewarding process. Another one I would point to is Heartland Steel. They have different facilities around the country. And as we were digging into that deal before we acquired it, we felt like their West Coast facility had been underinvested in over the years. And so one of our plans and strategies going into the deal was to invest in a new line to really automate and upgrade that facility. And so we were able to do that in the first 18 months or so of our investment and really improve efficiency coming out of that facility. Say with Eckhart or any example that you can give, and I'm not asking for specifics because I realize it might be inappropriate from a percentage basis. Can you tell us possibly from one of the acquisitions where it was when you acquired it, what happened to the revenue? How, from a percentage perspective, how much 
did say Eckhart increase over the term of your ownership? Sure. So it's tough to be overly specific, but I can tell you that Eckhart has more than doubled since we have owned it. Which is what I exactly expected you to say. (laughs) So what I find interesting in this is that your team is coming in, you're acquiring a business, but you are looking at it probably in ways that the retiring founder never did. So specifically with Eckhart, where you talk about how they were so heavily weighted in automotive, and I'm sure that your team saw risk in that, the newer markets that you developed over time, very, very different than automotive. And I wonder, like, how many times do you look at one of these companies and see opportunity that the founder never thought to go after? I would say that does happen often. And the other thing is, and this was a point you made earlier, often they see the opportunity and they know it's there. It's just a risk that they don't want to take. It's sort of a, you know, it's not broken, so why am I going to fix it approach? The business is doing well, so let's keep doing what we're doing. And Eckhart's major customer for years was a great customer. They paid on time. It was high margin work. There was no reason for them to do more. But we saw a really great opportunity with tools they were making and just the underlying market trends that those products supported, which is greater efficiency in industrial facilities and also greater ergonomics. The products that Eckhart makes create a safer work environment where employees can do their job better. And those are market tailwinds that we most certainly wanted to get behind. It's funny, we talk about how within the manufacturing community, especially with founder-led companies, there is an apprehension about dealing with private equity. But clearly, your company post-acquisition has grown the company. For the most part, you've kept it where it was. You may have added other locations. But most importantly, you know, the biggest concern that we hear from founder-led companies is over the continuity of the company, future opportunity for the staff. And LFM has created that in spades for the companies that they've acquired. And I just think that's so outstanding. We appreciate it. And I I think it really is our focus on culture and legacy and the ability to balance being active investors, but we are partners and we don't micromanage. So we believe strongly in getting the right people in the right seats and then letting them do their jobs. Excellent. Jessica, we are just about out of time. So before we close this out, I'd love for you to tell our listening audience how to reach you if they'd like to learn more about your firm. Of course. So email is always great, jessica at lfmcapital.com. And I would be happy to talk to anyone, answer any questions. Our website is lfmcapital.com. So I would encourage everyone to check it out. And again, let me know if there are questions. 
So delighted to have you. And Jessica, thank you so much for giving us a little education on private equity firms, specifically yours. We're so delighted to have a firm like yours on the show that's specifically invested in manufacturing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Fran. It's been a pleasure. Great. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>